We'll hear argument first this morning in number 118, original, United States against Alaska. Mr. Muneer. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. This original action is before the Court on cross motions for summary judgment. The question presented is whether the Secretary of the Army acted within his authority when he refused to issue a permit for construction of the Nome Port facility unless Alaska agreed that the construction would be deemed not to alter the location of the federal-state boundary. Some historical background is necessary to understand this case. This Court ruled in a 1947 decision, California 1, that the federal government, rather than the individual states, owns offshore submerged lands. Six years later, Congress enacted two statutes, the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act and the Submerged Lands Act, which divided the offshore submerged lands between the federal and state governments. Congress gave the states those submerged lands extending, as a general matter, three miles from the coastline. A dispute then arose whether coastal construction, such as port facilities, should be treated as part of the coastline for purposes of the Submerged Lands Act grant. This Court ruled in California 2 that harbor work should be treated as part of the coast. The Court concluded that there was no inequity in measuring the coast's submerged lands grant based on structures the state itself had built because the United States, through its control over navigable waters, had the power to protect its interests from encroachment and, quote, the effect of any future changes could thus be the subject of agreement between the parties. The Army, which issues permits for offshore structures under Section 10 of the Rivers and Harbors Act, revised its permitting regulations in response to the California 2 decision. Those regulations now provide that the Army will take into account the effect of the proposed coastal construction on the federal-state boundary when determining whether to issue a permit. The Army applied those regulations to the City of Nome's proposed port facility. The Army refused to issue the permit unless Alaska disclaimed entitlement to any additional submerged lands. Alaska argues the Army had no authority to impose that requirement. We disagree. Congress has directed the Army to regulate the placement of structures in navigable waters. The relevant statute, Section 10 of the Rivers and Harbors Act, contains a complete prohibition on the creation of any obstruction to navigation. It then gives the Secretary of the Army the power to allow exceptions on a case-by-case basis where a structure or work is recommended by the Corps of Engineers. Thus, Section 10 expresses a legislative policy against the placement of structures in navigable waters except where the Secretary affirmatively determines that the structures should be allowed. Section 10 does not identify specific factors the Secretary should take into account in authorizing such structures. The Secretary accordingly takes into account a whole range of factors relevant to the public interest in light of the policies Congress has articulated in other laws. This public interest review process is certainly reasonable. Nothing in Section 10 suggests the Army should exercise its permitting authority without regard to the policies that Congress has stated elsewhere. This Court recognized that point in United States v. Pennsylvania Industrial Chemical Corp. and Great House v. Dern, which both indicate that the Rivers and Harbors Act gives the Secretary broad discretion to grant or deny permits. Mr. Muneer, can I ask, what is the government's position under Section 10 and under this waiver, or for that matter, under all waivers, with respect to natural accretion that is caused by the construction of the artificial structure? That is a factor that would be taken into account in building the structure, and I think that's a very relevant point in this sense. 
the structure might cause uh, downstream uh, erosion, shoreline accretion, which could result in actually bringing the boundary landward and could affect the state's grant of submerged lands. That is a factor that the, uh, the Army will take into account, into account in determining whether to issue a structure. Whether, well, I'm not talking about <laughs> whether the Army will take it into account in determining whether, whether to issue the permit. I'm sure it will. But suppose the permit is issued subject to a waiver such as this. Does the waiver include the state's uh, power over any, uh, any extension of the uh, state's boundary caused by natural accretion, which is in turn attributable to the artificial structure? Yes, I think this disclaimer would in fact cover that under the specific terms of this disclaimer. It much depends on how the, how the disclaimer is worded. So, so you, have to, you have to go and figure out how much natural accretion along the, along the shoreline is caused by the construction of a jetty that, uh, that was subject to a waiver like this? It makes an awful complicated Well, this is, with all respect, Your Honor, this is only going to arise in most cases with respect to the leasing of mineral rights. Uh, if the state or the federal government determines to, decides to lease mineral rights, it will, in fact, issue a, a notice, and the parties will contact the relevant agencies, any party interested in leasing in, in leasing property, no, but my, locate but, the boundary. But it, it is the case that I just can't look at the shoreline and say, well, except for natural structures, I, I know that the three-mile is measured from the shoreline. You're telling me that if some of that shoreline uh, may be up-current uh, or down-current, I don't know how accretion works, has been, uh, uh, has been altered by reason of the artificial structure, I cannot count that part of the shoreline for determining the three-mile limit. Well, Your Honor, that is a, is, is a practical consequence of the way this particular disclaimer is worded. A uh, disclaimer could eliminate that problem. The likelihood of the problem arising is also minimized by the fact that one aspect of this uh, project is a literal drift monitor monitoring program, which was designed to assure that there would be no accretion or erosion as a result of the construction of this structure. Uh, the, the, permitting, the party that has the permit here, the city of Nome, is under an obligation to monitor any such changes. And if they do occur, it is under an obligation to prevent them from occurring. So although this, this raises a theoretical difficulty under this particular disclaimer, I don't think it has a great deal of practical consequence in light of other, other factors relevant to the permit. Does the Corps exact similar waivers in connection with structures on a river? Uh, in those cases, it's likely not to because it does not affect offshore mineral rights. Uh, yeah, it could very much affect the boundary between one state and another on a river. That's right, and that is a, is a factor that could go, that the Corps could take into account. I'm well, not what sure. What do you mean when you say the factor, a factor the Corps could take into account? It take into account doing what? In determining whether to issue the permit or not, and what if are the, the appropriate conditions for issuance of the permit. And, but you, you say that the Corps does not generally exact waivers in connection with uh, streams or rivers within the United States? Well, frankly, I'm just not certain about, uh, about that practice. Uh, the, the structure of the Corps' permitting process is to take into account any factor, any consequence, both physical or legal, that might result from the addition of a structure in navigable waters. Well, supposing that you decide, uh, there were, the state applies to build a dam on a river and the river is an uh, interstate boundary, and uh, the uh, prospectus or study says there's a chance that there will be some erosion on one side of the river, accretion on the other, and it might alter the boundary of the state some. 
How would the court take that into consideration? Would that be a negative or a positive factor? As a general matter, this, the court attempts to preserve the status quo, exactly as in this case. Uh, there's a, a need for stability with respect to boundaries, particularly boundaries for submerged lands that can be subject to accretion or erosion. So the, the core's basic uh, uh, perspective on this is that we don't want the structure to be altering settled expectations with respect to property rights. So deny the structure. I mean, the, the point of my earlier question, Mr. Minear, is that I'm inclined to agree with the, the government that, uh, that Section 10 allows you to take into account whether it will alter the, uh, the ownership of submerged lands. But to say that you can take it into account is not to say that you can condition the permission upon this kind of a waiver. The, the greater does not necessarily include the lesser. And, and if, uh, if indeed one of the consequences of having these waivers is that, that the shoreline is, is always going to be subject to debate as to whether some natural accretion has occurred by reason of, a, of an artificial structure under such a waiver, then I'm, I'm more inclined to think that, that your, your choice is either to let it go forward, in which case, uh, you know, the, the, the coast is altered uh, as the structure uh, causes, or else not let it go forward. Why isn't that a conceivable version of Section 10? Well, with all respect, Your Honor, the, the Corps, uh, what the Corps is attempting to do here is to stabilize uh, and provide definiteness with respect to title. Uh, that's what the disclaimer did in this particular case. Uh, that's what the literal drift monitoring program will also do with respect to this case. Much depends on how the disclaimer might be crafted, and in fact, the Army allows the state to, to draft a disclaimer and then determines whether or not the disclaimer would appropriately protect federal interests. But the ultimate interest that the federal government is asserting here is, in fact, the stability of title, the fact that we do want to have certainty. Uh, Mr. Manier, I, I take it that uh, if there's accretion or erosion through natural, natural causes, the uh, boundary is ambulatory? That is generally true, although this is a matter that is, is changing as this court issues particular decrees with respect to uh, uh, But absent boundaries. the decree, the government agrees that the line would be ambulatory in that case? The line would be ambulatory, except with where disclaimers are in effect or where this court has entered a decree fixing a boundary. Now, that is always one alternative to uh, ensure that there is a stable federal-state boundary. Would you have authority, would the government have authority to tell Alaska that it's going to condition uh, the uh, permit for construction of the structure on making the entire boundary of Alaska fixed as of this time? I think that might run into problems, uh, well, two types of problems. At the, outs uh, at the outset, it could be an arbitrary exercise of the Corps' power. Uh, as a general matter, it seems as if we would think that this disclaimer should be tied to the specific governmental interest that is identified. But I thought you said you had a governmental interest in having stable boundaries. Oh, we do. We do. And we exercise that on a case-by-case -case basis with respect to these individual projects. Uh, at a broader sense, this seems inconsistent with the notion that was expressed in, in Nolan uh, that the, uh, the, a, a, a permit condition should be closely related to the reason why the government could deny the permit. Now here we, su we submit that there is no question that the government could deny the permit based on the effect that it would have on the change in federal property rights. If it can deny the permit on that basis, it ought to be able to impose conditions that protect those interests. In other, in other words, provide a less drastic alternative. Mr. Muneer, the uh, Submerged Land Act expressly states that it's in the public interest for the states to have title to the submerged lands within three miles of their coastline. Does that uh, statutory articulation of, of 
public interest uh, affect the resolution of this case, do you think? Well, we think as a general matter that is a policy that is also of interest to the Army. But what the Army does here is it looks to the consequences of the building of the structure. As it stands now, the state has received exactly those lands that were granted under the Submerged Lands Act. The building of a structure would, in fact, reduce, reduce the United States grant of lands under the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act. That is a factor that the Corps should be allowed to take into account. If the structure actually went in the other direction, if it actually diminished the lands the state presently owns with respect to the Submerged Lands Act, then the Army would take that factor into account. And the basis for that would be the policy that is set forth in the Submerged Lands Act. Of course, the, the government doesn't end up with any net loss, right? I mean, it, 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 it loses, uh, it loses the, the, the length of the structure at one end and picks it up at the other end. No, uh, with all respect, Your Honor, it does not, the United States would not gain any property in this particular case. Uh, the, first of all, the United States grant under the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act uh, extends to the end of the counter, outer continental shelf. Uh, so it's fixed by a, a, a geogra- as a geographic matter. In this particular case, all of the land up around Norton Sound is continental shelf. It's all less than 200 meters deep. Uh, and this particular location is on Norton Sound. If you went south from Nome through Norton Sound, you'd eventually hit Alaska again. This is, uh, uh, Nome is located on the Seward Peninsula. As a more general matter, even if you had a straight boundary and you were extending the line, I think it's helpful to look at the, the map we have at the last page of the, of the joint appendix. The effect of, the, of, a, of a, adding a point on the coastline is to create an arc of additional land that is created, uh, that, that is encompassed within the boundary. Uh, so although the causeway only occupies five acres, it ends up uh, transferring, if there were no disclaimer, over 700 acres of land. Now, in the case of a straight boundary, uh, where uh, we would be concerned perhaps with the 200-mile exclusive economic zone limit, this is another boundary that we have that is apart from what we've discussed here, uh, using the causeway to extend the exclusive economic zone could extend that, but it would only be if it was an absolutely straight coastline. If there's some other point up, upstream or downstream that also goes out, the drawing of the arc would in fact uh, eliminate the, uh, the factor that you get from, the, from the, the causeway. Now, the Secretary's consideration of the effect of the proposed structure on the location of the cause, causeway is simply one part of its public interest review process. As the Secretary's regulations recognize, the location of the coastline has great significance because it can determine the location of international and federal state boundaries. And even where foreign relations concerns are absent, a shift in the location of the coastline can, as in this case, divest the United States of its interests in the Outer Continental Shelf. Congress has stated that the Outer Continental Shelf is a vital national resource reserve held by the federal government for the public. Thus, it is entirely proper for the Secretary to consider as one element of the public interest review the effect of a proposed structure on the location of the coastline. In the absence of such a review, portions of a vital national resource reserve would be transferred without any formal government consideration from federal to state hands. The the, the Secretary's public interest review process, including his consideration of the effects of a proposed structure on the location of the coastline, reflects a commitment to faithful execution of the law. It ensures the Secretary takes full account of all of Congress's policies before he authorizes construction that can impact on a wide variety of public concerns. 
It is also consistent with this court's decision in California too, which recognized that the United States has the ability to protect itself from artificial changes in the coastline through its power over navigable waters. Furthermore, it produces a sensible result. In this instance, the city of Nome applied for a permit to construct port facilities projecting more than a half a mile into Norton Sound. The Army learned through consultation with the Solicitor of the Interior Department that the resulting change in the coastline would divest the United States of potentially valuable mineral resources. The Army therefore reasonably insisted that a permit would not be issued unless Alaska entered into an agreement preserving the existing federal state boundary. The Army was entitled to deny the permit because the adverse effect that the construction would have on the location of the boundary. As a matter of curiosity, Mr. Muneer, uh, what kind of minerals are possible there? The mineral, the, uh, the leasing program that, uh, that is ongoing at this point, and in fact, uh, requests for, lease, for leases were s- submitted and no bids were received, but the primary mineral of interest in the case of those leases was gold. Uh, there's also a possibility in Norton Sound of oil and gas, I think oil primarily. Uh, however, there is no active <coughs> leasing program. Uh, there might be such a program in 1996. I also understand that a permit has been issued for gold prospecting as opposed to leasing for simple ac- exploration in the Norton Sound area as well, and that is for gold. Now, I would like to, to note some of Alaska's arguments here. Alaska mistakenly argues that Section 10 limits the Army's inquiry to navigational and environmental concerns. Section 10 contains no such limitation and indeed suggests a far broader inquiry. Virtually any structure placed in navigable waters obstructs navigation, and Section 10 authorizes the Secretary to allow such a structure despite the adverse impact. So obviously the Secretary must look to factors other than navigation in determining whether to issue a permit. As Alaska concedes, there is no dispute that the Army can take into account the public interest, including Congress's environmental policies, in determining whether to issue a permit. There is no principal basis for distinguishing between Congress's policies articulated in environmental laws and those articulated in other statutes, such as the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act. Alaska is also mistaken in arguing that the result we urge here will detract from this Court's supposed goal of a single coastline for both international and domestic purposes. This Court has never stated that it has an overriding goal of establishing a single coastline. The Court adopted the coastline definition. Upholding a, a what kind of? A, a single coastline. The, the as theory, opposed to what, a double coastline? Alaska's theory here is there should be, the same coastline should be used for measuring both the federal state boundary and international boundaries. Uh, and in fact, there are divergences that exist in any event. Uh, as the Court adopted the definitions in the international conventions, because they provided definiteness and stability uh, with respect to offshore property rights and not to produce a single coastline. And as this court noted in California too, a change in the international conventions uh, would not change the definitions for purposes of the Submerged Lands Act. What are the divergences that occur anyway? Uh, They occur in several respects. Uh, The clearest example is in the case of uh, the Gulf side coast of Florida and the coast of Texas. In the case of both of those states, they received a grant of three marine leagues rather than three miles of submerged lands. This court determined in United States versus Louisiana that the coastline for the purpose of that grant would be determined on the basis of the, uh, the coastline at the time of admission and would not include any subsequent artificial structures. Uh, more recently, uh, we stipulated to a, a coastline, uh, a baseline for purposes of closing the Chandler Sound 
uh, off the coast of the state of Mississippi. Uh, and that baseline also is not necessarily the same as the baseline that would be established for international purposes. Alaska is also mistaken in arguing that California II's discussion of the United States' control over navigable, navigable waters was made in reference to Congress's constitutional power over navigation rather than the Army's permitting authority. The Court's reference to the government's power to resolve future disputes by agreement can refer only to an executive power. Congress enacts laws. It does not enter into, agree into agreements. And the Special Master's statements, which this Court cited with approval, express expressly refer to the government's permitting process and the need for governmental approval. In sum, we believe that the Army has the authority to uh, require this sort of disclaimer in these circumstances, and that we therefore request that the Court grant the United States motion for summary judgment. If you don't have the power to condition that you wouldn't have the power to refuse this uh, uh, permit? Uh, I don't think it would necessarily follow. I, su I suppose, uh, under our theory, it would. It seems to me, to us, that if we have the power mm -hmm. to, uh, to deny the permit, we have the power to condition it. Uh, I think it would be unusual if we had the power well, uh, to condition. If you don't have the power to condition, you don't have the power to re refuse it. That would be, yes, that would be. If, if it otherwise satisfies the, uh, if the only objection you would have is because it extends the coastline, you, you couldn't refuse it. That, that is, Under your theory. Uh, I, I believe that's a last, maybe I'm getting confused here, but our, our theory is that we can deny the permit based on its coastline. I know, I know, but what if you can't? And if we can't, uh, then I believe that uh, the logic of our position would be that we would have to grant the permit. Yes, and isn't it, isn't it Alaska's position that you have no power here to, to refuse that's, the permit? That's correct, Your Honor. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'd like to reserve the remainder of my time. Very well, Mr. Monero. Mr. Gisberg, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, we believe that the Army, is, the Army Corps' disclaimer practice is open-ended and mandatory and missing the essence of the Submerged Lands Act and also some fundamental principles of government in this country. This causes them to badly misjudge the public interest in both law and in fact. We don't believe that the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act or the Rivers and Harbors Appropriation Act of 1899 causes any other result. In essence, this is simply a case of statutory construction. Whether the Army has the statutory authority to require a disclaimer that fixes a state's seaward boundary at a line that's different from the three miles from the coastline that was granted to the states by Congress in the Submerged Lands Act. I understand. I thought your position went farther than that, that whether or not it extends the, whether or not it extends the coastline or extends the state line, the this boundary. Is, this is whether or not it does is not a proper consideration in determining whether to issue the permit or not. This is correct. And this is my next sentence is, uh, is getting to that. Uh, All right, point. Go ahead. We start. We start with the coastline, and I also want to emphasize that Alaska, although we were not a state when the Submerged Lands Act was passed under our statehood compact, we did become a state. Uh, specifically, that compact provides us the benefits of the Submerged Lands Act. Congress, in enacting that Submerged Land Act, Lands Act, spoke directly and clearly, and couldn't have spoken more plainly that the states own 
submerged lands to three miles from the coastline. They knew then, as has been known from the beginning of time, that coastlines are not stable. They change through all sorts of natural forces and man-made modifications. Under acts of Congress and uh, international law that's been adopted by this court, the rule is that those ambulations of the coastline result in corresponding changes to the seaward boundary, wherever that is and whatever seaward boundary it happens to be. In this case, we're talking about the three-mile limit, but the same consequence happens on the 12-mile federal territorial sea and on the 200-mile uh, exclusive economic zone that the federal government has. This is a fact of life on the ocean, and the Army Corps of Engineers cannot change that by administrative fiat. By doing this, administratively inventing their own exception to this rule that Congress laid down, they're absolutely ignoring the Submerged Land Act, which is the one single act that directly, squarely addresses the state's rights to submerged lands. Well, Mr. Gisberg, uh, could, could the uh, Corps of Engineers have uh, said uh, when uh, you applied for a permit, it looks to us as if this is going to extend the state's seaward boundary, therefore we're going to turn it down, we're going to say no. Mr. Chief Justice, uh, absolutely not. And in this case, of course, we didn't, the state didn't apply for the permit, and about a year later we got a letter saying that no one wasn't going to get the permit unless the state waived it. No, they do not have that authority. Congress spoke clearly that this is an ambulatory formula. Well, we, we have a fixed formula. But so, so, so it is, and uh, you're, you're, let's assume you're correct about the formula. Why can't the United States or the Corps of Engineers simply say, we don't want to risk any changes in the outer boundary, we're, we're not going to let you build it? Because the Army Corps is a creature of Congress, Mr. Chief Justice. Well, of course it is. And they only... answer. Well, my answer is that they only have the power that Congress gave them, and that well, power starts from the Rivers and Harbors Act. But the Rivers and Harbors Act says you can't build any structure in navigable waters except on plans recommended by the Chief of Engineers and authorized by the Secretary of the Army. Mr. Chief Justice, the uh, government compares Section 10, which uh, the Court has just read, to Section 13, which they reference in Pennsylvania uh, Chemical case. And we think, and Pennsylvania Chemical said that regarding putting pollutants into navigable waters, the Army Corps had discretion to not to say no, you do no, they will not allow those pollutants to go in. We don't believe they have that same discretion under Article 10, and here's why. Article 10 was developed for completely different reasons than Article 13. Article 13 is to protect those waters from something that's bad, pollution. Article 10 is to do something good to those waters, to enhance the navigable capacity. In 1888, in the, the uh, Willamette case, the uh, courts of the United States said that there is no prohibition of putting any single obstruction in navigable waters of the United States. So in 1890, the Congress enacted the precursor of this Rivers and Harbors Act of, uh, Appropriation Act of 1899. 
They, the purpose of that act was to enhance navigation. As a part of that, they told the Army Corps of Engineers that there will be no obstructions to the navigable capacity of the navigable waters of the United States. When the Army Corps of Engineers takes that authority and says, this means that from 1899 to the present day, we could say that there will, nobody will build a pier, nobody will build a wharf, nobody will build a causeway, nobody can do anything in the waters of the United States. We don't think that that's what Article 10 says. Well, well, what, Even what factors can the uh, Secretary take into consideration in refusing to authorize a, a, a construction project? Yes, Mr. Chief Justice. From, 1890, from 1899 until 1968, the, the Army Corps of Engineers, by their own admission in the Federal Register site that the government has put in, took into account one factor, and that was navigation enhancing navigation. If the project enhanced navigation, they accounted for that. In the, in the 1960s and 70s, there's a series of cases saying that the Army Corps of Engineers is allowing things to happen that are destructive of the waters of the United States. They, the Army Corps of Engineers can only consider public interest that is articulated by Congress. The first time this happened was in 1956 in the Fish and Wildlife Coordination Act. In the Fish and Wildlife Coordination Act, the Army Corps could say, this project is good for navigation, but it's not good for anadromous fish, so therefore we're not going to put it in. Then in 1969, the National Environmental Protection Act was passed. Before that, though, the most important one was that in 1953, the Congress just looked at the ownership of submerged lands offshore, and they said the states are going to have it to three miles from the coastline. You, you, the don't Army Corps that, has, you, you don't think that preserving the, uh, the property of the United States is one of the public interests of the United States? I mean, the Department of the Interior does, does not, I don't know that there's a special statute that says the Secretary shall evict people who, uh, who poach on, uh, on, on uh, United States lands, but I'm, I'm sure it's part of the public interest of the United States to preserve territory owned by the United States. Isn't that... Uh, Self-evident? Justice Scalia, I think it would be if it were not for the Submerged Lands Act. The Submerged Lands Act is the only act that, direct, that Congress has directed specifically to tell us what happens with submerged lands. The Submerged Lands Act doesn't say, uh, doesn't say that uh, the effect of structures can be to decrease the territory owned by the United States. The, the Submerged Lands Act, uh, Justice Scalia, says that the states will own the lands to three miles from the coastline. That coastline is ambulatory. Everybody knows it changes. So the federal... We are not talking now about the waiver. We are talking about the right to refuse. I agree that if the government gives a waiver, you can argue that that contradicts the Submerged Lands Act because it causes the state to own less than the three miles. But I am just now talking about the government's simple right to, to refuse. You want to build a structure, the government says, I'm not contravening the Submerged Lands Act. I'm not saying you can build it, but you can't have your three miles. I'm just saying you can't build it because it'll take away territory of the United States. What, what's the matter with that? Uh, the, thing, the, the problem with that, Justice Scalia, is that Congress addressed those uh, federal interests in the Outer Continental Shelf. In, in May of 1953, when they enacted the Submerged Lands Act, and then in August, when they enacted the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act, and they realized that there would be some changes in that baseline. Actually, when they enacted the Submerged Lands Act, they took all of the federal lands in all 36,000 square miles of the three-mile limit and gave it to the states. There was an immense national interest in those lands. We're talking about 730 acres that doesn't have anything on it, to the best of our knowledge. 
And we're saying that that is going to be subverted by an Army Corps decision that that's in the public interest. I don't think we can do it. Well, I, I just find it hard to believe that, that once you acknowledge that, that all interests, all governmental interests, and not just the interest in navigation, can be taken into account in determining whether to deny the permit, I cannot imagine that one of those interests cannot be whether the federal government will lose territory. I mean, it, that seems to me an obvious uh, governmental interest. Well, uh, Justice Scalia, it somehow isn't as obvious to me because I've looked exactly at what Congress has said. And in our briefs, we have gone through, there's probably 20 different laws of Congress that have been enacted that the Army Corps of Engineers has to look at. One of those says that that coastline is ambulatory, natural, artificial causes, it moves in and out. Now, the hypothetical that the court is raising is one where we don't, we're not talking about a waiver, we're just saying that they can't, they can't issue that permit. I believe that if, that once they accept the permit application, once the permit application is given to them, that they're bound to act on that permit application in accordance with the laws. If I go to the, if I go to the uh, federal government for a fishing license and I am qualified for the fishing license or a driver's license or to be admitted to the bar, they can't, of course, they have the authority to issue those permits, but it's not in their discretion. Look at Article well, no, 4. No, no one is disputing that, I don't think, Mr. Gisbert. The question is, what factors can they take into consideration under the law as it exists? Yes, Mr. Chief Justice, I believe that in the uh, uh, 1968 site to the Federal Register, the Corps uh, admits there that we are now going to take into account more factors than just navigation. They list a, a long variety of laws there that they can take into account. Every single one of those uh, factors in their public interest review, if the court will compare their regulations at uh, 33 CFR 320 to the statutory authority that they list, every single one of those regulatory uh, criteria that they compare with is related to an act of Congress except this one and the, except the ownership one, and the only thing that's related to the ownership one is the Submerged Lands Act. In fact, in their own, uh, in their own law, the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act and Submerged Lands Act, in their own regulations in 320, it says property interest will not be a factor. Well, and that's that's suppose, suppose we don't agree with you uh, in that regard, uh, <coughs> Mr. Attorney General. Um, uh, <coughs> suppose the government just turns you down. We say you've got the, that the government has the power, and, if the, and the government just turns you down. And do you think that uh, if you then went to the uh, government and said, "Look, uh, we want this pier. Uh, we we offer to waive uh, any change in the coastline if you grant this permit," and the government says, "Well, uh, we don't condition it on that, but if you want to, we'll just make a contract about it." Do you think that would be enforceable? No, I don't. I think the Army Corps has to have the authority to do that from Congress, and that's what that's what this court was talking well, about. Well, I know, but we say they have authority. They have authority to uh, turn. Say we that they have the authority to turn the permit down. And you think then that the state? There's no way that the state and the federal government could uh, make an agreement that would permit the building of the pier without extending the coastline. I see. In other words, we, we have, in, from my point of view, I would require an act of Congress that said that there will be no, anything, nothing done to the coastline that affects the seaward, state seaward boundary. Then I would say, yeah, that's giving them uh, that as, as some authority. Now, I would think that Congress would 
definitely not do that. They would try to — they would give the Corps some formula to weigh the public interest. Maybe the, the $25 million causeway and 17 acres that are covered up and the, the way the uh, uh, boats that come in and the good that's done for the city of Nome in the northwest Alaska would be a part of that. You don't I think it would be if Congress did it. You don't question then the authority of Congress to explicitly adopt a regime such as the Corps has adopted in this case. It's ex this is, Mr. Chief Justice, the job of Congress to do. And, we and, and, really and you, you concede that Congress does have that authority, had it chosen to do so. You say it hasn't. Absolutely. And, in fact, we interpret the Court's uh, suggestion that is being taken as a mandatory direction now because this is happening on every single causeway and every single beach project. We only could find 17 through 1991, but everyone that's coming up now, the Corps requires these disclaimers. Now, this Court in 1965 in the second California case said that the, there could be legislation and agreements to do this. That is what she has to be done before the Corps has this authority. Uh, they can't substitute their judgment for Congress. You think, uh, you, you think we, uh, that statement in uh, one of the California cases that uh, the United States could protect itself uh, was just misguided. Not at all. It, I, I think that it has to be well, read. How can it protect itself? It, it may, if it must uh, issue the permit. Uh, Justice White, that statement in the California case specifically says it can protect itself through its uh, authority or uh, powers over navigation. That's the navigational servitude plus its authority under the Rivers and Harbors Appropriation Act to allow or disallow projects that interfere with the navigable but the capacity. logic of your position, Mr. Gisberg, is that assuming a particular project uh, does not interfere with navigation, that the federal government is powerless to prevent a state from artificially extending its coastline for the very purpose of gaining title to submerged lands in some valuable area. I mean, that's the logic of your position. Now, this court has actually said, yeah, I've, I've been looking at the second half of that sentence in California too, but this court in California too said that they directly address that to unwarranted structures. And an unwarranted structure would be one that doesn't have any navigational benefit or any other benefit under the laws of Congress. Yes, if may I interrupt there? I don't see why, under your theory, it, it, that the state must have a navigational purpose. Why couldn't the state, under your theory, decide that, as Justice O'Connor suggested, they'd like a little more uh, territory, and if they found an area in which there's no navigational problem and no environmental problem, would just build a jetty out for two miles for the express and sole purpose of getting more territory? Seems to me, under your theory, they could do that. Well, I think actually, um, under what this court uh, may have said, that they they can do that. You're, that is cor a correct uh, summary of your theory. They could do that. Couldn't okay. they? Let me let me clarify that, Justice Stevens, because this court has said that unwarranted structures may be suspect, and uh, unwarranted though in terms of navigation. So, if a structure is being put out just for the sole purpose to uh, extend the state's land. Right. Uh, I believe that the laws that we're now operating under allow, do not allow the Army Corps of Engineers to turn that down if it has any navigational purpose. But well, they, this, uh, this so, particular uh, jetty could have been twice as long. It was supposed to be, but it took too long to finish. Yes, of course it could have been. It could have been uh, 10 and, miles and long. And you would say that the federal government would have to issue the permit. 
I would say I would say that the federal government would not be able to deny the permit on the basis of changes in the ambulatory boundary. If a 20-mile-long causeway is serves one percent more of the navigational benefit than a than a two-mile causeway, and the interference to navigation because of the extra eight miles is substantial, that's the judgment call that they have to make. No, but my hypothetical is it's neutral on navigation. It's either high enough so the ships can go under it or something. But assuming my hypothetical has absolutely no impact on either navigation or environment, it's just a way of acquiring territory, sticking a 10-mile jetty out into the ocean. That you could do, I think, under your theory. Well, because Congress hasn't thought about the problem and hasn't legislated against it. Justice Stevens, they haven't thought about the problem, but this court has thought about the problem in two cases. One of them is a California 2 case in 65 where this court said that um, unwarranted structures could be um, addressed by the, um, the parties. And the second one, though, is the Texas boundary case, which is cited in the uh, plaintiff's uh, reply brief at page 11. And it's not cited for this proposition, but in that case, the court, this court said that uh, they were talking about there would a change that would let the state of uh, Texas have a would get some extra mineral land, and they said in that this court said that quote any alleged inequitable treatment and detriment to the orderly mineral development by allowing ambulations must be resolved by looking to Congress for relief, and we believe that's exactly what is done here. The Corps of Engineers is not going to Congress for this authority; they're inventing this authority on their own, and they don't have Congress hasn't given them the statutory authority to do that. Mr. Gisberg, has Congress given you or given the state of Alaska a statutory authority to alienate what it might get under this theory of three miles ambulatory boundary? Uh, Justice Souter, uh, our state's three-mile limit lands uh, are subject to a public trust uh, doctrine, and under our state constitution and state law, we may not alienate those properties except to another governmental entity. Uh, for example, under, the city of Nome. We did, in fact, give 17 acres to the city of Nome to build the causeway. If state law allowed you to do it, is there anything in the Submerged Lands Act uh, which precludes your, your alienation for some other purpose? No, Justice Souter, because the Submerged Lands Act, uh, in opposition to the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act, states that it's in the public interest to uh, grant to the states title to and ownership of the submerged lands. The so your argument is strictly that the, that the uh, Corps does not have the power uh, to require and not that you do not have the power under federal law to alienate. Oh, yes, Your Honor. Okay. Yes, the federal law does not affect the state's uh, right to alienate. Does, does any governmental entity, uh, which is the restriction you mentioned in your anti-alienation statutes, uh, include a grant to the government of the United States? Justice Kennedy, we could we could grant to the government, we could grant to the United States, to a city, a municipality, a, a borough, or any government agency. Yes. So, so if that's true, if your counsel had said, you know, this is a difficult area of interpretation, and you had offered initially to waive, the government could have entered a contract with you to waive the extension of the boundary. I take it. It would have been our uh, property, and our, we would have had title and ownership to it, and I think we could have entered into an agreement with them if, or if let's say that the, for some reason uh, the government did need that property. The Navy's going to build a base, or there's some fish spotting device out there and run by the National Marine Fisheries Service, and they need it. I think that it becomes our property, the 730 acres. Uh, we could trade it for property someplace down the beach or... Uh, well, then, if the rights of the parties are in doubt, I can't see why that isn't also a ground for the government to insist on the contract. 
simply to avoid litigation. I think that's probably true, Justice Kennedy, but we do not believe that the rights of the parties are in any doubt at all. We believe the Submerged Lands Act is, it squarely addresses this issue and is absolutely clear. It says that the states get three miles from an ambulatory baseline. That you baseline, don't think reasonable people could disagree on that proposition? Uh, well, I, I certainly do not disagree with what Justice Kennedy has said. We're, we have talked about this in some detail. This is not just affecting the state of Alaska. It's not just affecting the Nome Causeway. The city of Nome happened to apply for this particular coastal construction project. We were, we've, the Corps of Engineers permits projects in the coasts of the United States all over the country. Uh, we, found seven, we found 12 with disclaimers so far. Um, we, believe, we now have evidence from their, uh, they have an internal guidance that has just come out in which they say that the district engineer, whenever there's a project that may affect the baseline, will request a, a waiver from the affected state. And so this is uh, not going to be subject to any kind of an agreement anymore. And that's one of the problems with the court's suggestion to us in California, too. They said we could, we could talk about this through legislation or agreement. Well, the state of Alaska is over here. The city of Nome applies for the permit to the, to the Army. A year later, the Army writes the city of Nome and the state of Alaska a letter in, Ju in July of 1983 saying, we're not going to give this permit unless the state waives its claims out well, here. That's not an agreement. Let's say, let's say however, that we, that, that we say the, that, uh, that the uh, Corps may turn down the permit uh, because uh, of boundary considerations. And they, uh, but that it cannot condition, impose the condition. On, uh, now, I, <clears throat> let's assume that that's con logically consistent and legally consistent. Is, <clears throat> is that the end of the matter? Uh, you don't think there's any way that the state then may, they may uh, arrange with the government to build the causeway and not change the boundary? Justice White is the example that they can they can turn down they don't they don't have to give the permit but they can condition they they may they may they may uh, turn down the permit but they can't grant it and condition it okay I understand um, in that case and if Congress gave them that authority no no, no let's, okay let's forget about Congress uh, no would there wouldn't be any way for the government and the state to uh, to issue the permit and not have the boundary changed. Uh, Justice White, I think that if the government would recognize that we get that maybe for an instant that becomes our property, then we can end, clearly enter an, into an agreement with it. But that would take a fundamental step for them to take that they're not haven't taken yet. So we would not enter into an agreement about something that they won't let us own. Well, but you, do you do you claim that? If you entered into the agreement, if, for example, you and the federal government said, look, we'll agree to disagree as to whether we get this for an instant or not, and you simply entered into an agreement which you requested, not a condition of the, of the approval, you requested to enter into this agreement, uh, do you claim that the agreement would not be a valid agreement and a binding alienation in light of your answer to Justice Kennedy in May? I think that it would be. Uh, on, we would have to interpret the the uh, rights to the 730 so, so acres really in one way, even though they would disagree. So all you're really saying is we just wouldn't do it unless they, unless they uh, will, uh, will solve our, our, uh, our lust for title by agreeing that we get it for at least an instant. We simply wouldn't agree, but you admit that you could agree 
and that the answer to Justice White's question is, is not the end of the matter, uh, and, and Noam could end up building his causeway anyway um, after we had agreed uh, voluntarily to alienate what we claim we had. Well, we sure wouldn't do it voluntarily. No one would have to pay us something for giving them. Uh, well, it would depend on how much you want to take. Well, we don't want it. Maybe, yeah, they would. And there's a lot of, that's the problem. There's a lot of project in the state of Alaska. This isn't just the city of Nome that's doing it. It's private people that have things they might want to put out there. And the state of Alaska now has a veto power over it. Let the, let the Army Corps of Engineers get a permit from the Navy to build a causeway down in ADAC and uh, ask us for a... Uh, a waiver, and maybe we'll balance that off against the gnome waiver. But this is the problem in this kind of a case. It's open-ended. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It's uh, something that the well, Corps the state of Alaska has can always say to gnome if, if they really don't approve the project. No, we won't grant any waiver. The state of Alaska, under what the Army Corps of Engineers is doing, could do that. We don't think that's what Congress thought the any of the states could do. They this this court has said that those grants are unconditional and. Well, but, but at any rate, the state of Alaska is not the prisoner of Nome's desires for a long causeway. No, Nome is being held hostage here by the state of Alaska and the Army Corps of Engineers, actually. Um, we think that what the Army Corps here is doing is not only misinterpreting, they're ignoring the one act that, that addresses submerged lands, and they're not even, they, they have to rely on the Rivers and Harbors Appropriation Act because that addresses that brings the Secretary of the Army into, gives him some authority to issue perm exceptions to these uh, permits. But the, under statutory construction rules, the only, the only uh, governmental agency that's allowed to, in, uh, to interpret statutes is the one that has the power. So they can't interpret the uh, Submerged Lands Act. If they did, they would find there's no gaps in it. It's absolutely clear. And that's why they have to go all the way back to 1899 and try to create this authority. They shouldn't be doing that. They should be going to Congress for this authority. There's two things that they also miss in addition to uh, the statutory interpretation problem. One is the separation of powers. They're pretending like they are Congress. Congress has said that they should do this. This court in the, in the Texas Boundary case said that Anything that changes the ambulations should be resolved by looking to Congress. They've also upset the balance of federalism because the people that decide what the state's rights are are the duly elected representatives in Congress, of which the state of Alaska happens at this time to have three. We have nobody sitting on the Army Corps of Engineers. And Mr. the uh, Solicitor General's office has said to this court that uh, the status quo is to be maintained, and so you have to have a fixed boundary. Alaska now has a, a three-mile limit that becomes two and a half miles off of Nome. That is not the status quo. The status quo is an ambulatory baseline. It's a functional formula that this court's laid down in 1965 based on the Law of the Sea Convention. The formula is what is stable. Everybody can figure out where the three-mile limit is and where the state's lands are. Under the government's formula, you have to be able to know whether or not this, right above the Nome Causeway, is, the, is another causeway. Right below it is the Cape Nome Causeway. Neither of them have disclaimers on it. They, the three-mile limit pops out in those places as it pops out at the 12-mile Federal Territorial Sea. So we totally disagree with the implications of what is happening here. Uh, it's not creating, what they're doing is not creating any stability. It's causing additional confusion. And we think this court ought to correct it. Thank you, Mr. Gisberg. Uh, Mr. Muneer, uh, do you have rebuttal? You have eight minutes remaining. Uh, yes, Your Honor. There are a few points that I would like to make. Uh, 
First, I think it's important to focus on, on what the Army Corps of Engineers is faced with in these circumstances. And it's a very practical problem. Uh, structures are built in navigable Parties apply to build structures in navigable waters. And what the Army Corps of Engineers does is attempt to evaluate all the consequences of placing that structure in the water, both physical and legal. One of the consequences can be a change in the boundary. And what the Army attempts to do is to maintain the status quo. Now, by keeping the boundary at the same location, that really serves the purposes of both acts here, both the Submerged Lands Act and the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act. Uh, it gives effect to both of those statutes because both parties get what they had originally uh, planned on receiving. Well, well but if stability isn't the law of the boundary, uh, I, I don't really see much to that point, Mr. Manier. I mean, if the law says that the boundary changes uh, when uh, the land form changes, to say that we're going to exact waivers so that that principle doesn't come into operation, I don't see is, is, is much of a principle. Well, uh, Your Honor, first, uh, with respect to the, the notion uh, that questions concerning the ambulatory nature of the boundary, Congress has never stated in the Submerged Lands Act that the boundary is ambulatory. That was this Court's interpretation in California, too. The same decision which this Court recognized the United States could reach agreement about these matters. The United States could what? The same, this is the same case in which the Court recognized that the United States could reach agreements about these matters, California, too. That's what pull, pull the lectern up a little bit. I, I have a hard time. But with respect to the, uh, uh, the question of whether the boundary is ambulatory, that Congress did not state that policy. Rather, the court adopted that policy in California, too. Uh, subsequently, Congress provided an avenue for fixing the boundaries in uh, the Submerged Lands Act in Section 1301B. It provides the boundaries can now be fixed by decree of this court. But more importantly, I think... In which event it would not change thereafter? That is right. It would be... No, no matter how much erosion? That is correct. It, is, it will be fixed. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I think it's important to re recall that the question at stake here really is the title to these submerged lands and to the mineral resources. As far as the uncertainty that might exist because of disclaimers, uh, that's rectified simply by a party who's interested in obtaining a lease uh, checking with the appropriate governmental authority for the location of the boundary. You perform a title search in the same way that you would uh, ascertain any other type of real estate. Uh, and there's, there's nothing unusual about that. With respect to the question that Justice Scalia raised at the outset about the accretion from the, nat uh, the natural structure, or from the artificial structure, uh, I have been informed there is case law in the states that indicates that once an artificial structure is built in a navigable river, uh, the subsequent accretion and erosion does not change the boundary uh, if it's a consequence of the building of the structure. Perhaps that same principle would apply at the Outer Continental Shelf or in the, uh, the uh, boundary, the coastline situation. I don't think we have any cases on that Mr. with respect Manier, to the federal do state I understand boundary. that the policy of the Corps of Engineers now would be that even if a private landowner wanted to uh, repair or construct a dock uh, on the shoreline that permission would be given only if the state in which it's located executes some kind of waiver? Not Is necessarily. That universal policy to be followed now by the Corps? This refers to harbor works. Uh, a dock that does not have a low water mark would not affect the change in the coastline for purposes of the Submerged Lands Act. That was decided in, this, in California 3. Uh, so it is a limited, it's, we're talking about primarily very large structures, causeways, uh, other major, uh, major buildings that will have a significant effect. Uh, and in fact, we've, uh, 
Uh, our records indicate there have been about 17 instances since 1970 where this, this problem has arisen. Now, uh, with respect to Justice Stevens' observation that the state could build a structure uh, simply to obtain uh, offshore lands, uh, imagine that consequence in the case of Prudhoe Bay, for instance, where there are very valuable known mineral resources that are located there. This could result, and again, without any formal government consideration of a massive transfer of valuable mineral resources. Congress can pass a statute. I mean, if that happens... It, it, that, that's not something that the, that the federal government is disempowered from preventing. You're just saying that under the current statute it couldn't be prevented. But as soon as somebody tried it, you'd get a statute pretty well, quickly, don't you think? Well, perhaps. It's perhaps. But uh, I don't think Congress should be forced to act on these matters when we have an expert agency that can, in fact, deal with these, these problems. Also take into account the situation if there were leases in effect offshore of Nome, if we had actually leased that property. The extension of the boundary would make those uh, leaseholders good-faith trespassers and could put their own, uh, their interests at, at risk. Uh, there's uh, a very strong interest here in maintaining a federal-state boundary and not having it changed by artificial structures. That serves both the federal government's interest and the state's government's interest. Uh, and we think this court should, uh, should recognize and uphold that principle and grant our motion for summary judgment. Uh, uh, do you want to uh, change your answer to my question uh, just before you sat down before or not? Uh, whether uh, if uh, if uh, you don't have the power to condition, you don't have the power to turn the permit down. Well, I believe we would have the power. To, we should have the power to turn down the the uh, the permit. Yes, it seems to even me even if you can't condition it. Even if we can't condition it, it seems it seems illogical to say that we couldn't condition it. And I suppose that's where the problem really is. As long as the condition applies with the, the rationale in Nolan, uh, we should be able to impose conditions that offer a less drastic alternative to outright prohibition. There are no further questions. Thank you, Mr. Munir. The case is submitted. <clears throat>